And um, we should spend much, much time on our knees thanking him for his goodness. Thank you, Arthur. Thank you, Praise Team. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, everyone, for being here today. I'm praying that God uses our time together in an unexplainable way in your life. We are about change here at Avalon Church. Man, if you're not changing, something's wrong. If you're the same today as you were a year ago, something is wrong. My prayer today is God would use this time of Bible study to change us, to move us. We won't be the same when we leave here today. We're going to be studying from the book of Ephesians, the letter, Paul's letter, uh, to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. I want to start this way, if I could. You have something I want. And I have something you want. And so what we should do is sit down and bargain with one another and negotiate with one another and strike a deal with one another so that it becomes a win-win situation for both of us. This, this, this phenomenon, this experience in our lives, we learn this kind of experience from infancy. It's kind of a part of our lifestyle. You got something I want, I got something you want. Let's sit down and work a deal. And it'll be win-win for both of us. I think maybe we, we learn this from our parents, right? If you'll be good, we'll stop and get some ice cream on the way home. If you bring home a good report card, I'll slip you a little cash or whatever, you can think of a thousand, a million scenarios where this is just kind of, it's pounded into our mind. It becomes a part of, of who we are. Even to the point where it becomes so natural to us that it seeps into our faith experience. It seeps into our relationship with God. We like to bargain with God. God if you'll help me on this test, I'll never or I'll always, we use never and always a lot in our bargaining with God. God, if you'll get me that promotion, you're driving in the car, you're on the way to the interview and you're thinking to yourself, God, if you'll just get me that promotion, then I'll always go to church. I'll never miss a Sunday. Or I'll start giving. We all do it. We all do it. I'm not saying that this is, it's, it's a bad thing. Negotiation is not necessarily a bad thing. I think there's some bad things about it. I think there's some good things about it. Here's one bad thing about it in our negotiation with God. We never keep our end of the deal. Do we? We never always and we never never. Here's some good things you're negotiating with God. In order to do that, you got to have faith, right? I mean, you have to believe that there's a God. You have to believe that he exists. You have to believe that he cares about you. You have to believe that he wants something good for you. 
You, you have to believe that he's involved in your life to some degree for you to sit and negotiate and deal and make a bargain with God. And that's great faith, by the way. That's great faith. I believe there's a God. I believe he's involved in my life. I believe he wants something good for me. And you also have to believe this. If you're going to negotiate with God, you, you have to believe that you have something that he wants. I mean, that's leverage, right? Your leverage in this negotiation is there's something that you have that God wants. But the reality is that God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. That's the kind of God that we gather together this morning to worship. We believe that we have something that he wants. There's people who believe that God is blessed because we're on his team. That there's something that that I can bring to the table that will give me leverage so that I can get God to do what I want God to do. And what we need to understand this morning is God is God. There is none above him. He needs nothing. We have no leverage when it comes to bargaining with God. But God does want something for you. I think it's why you're here this morning. I don't think it's an accident that you're here this morning. We don't deserve his love and involvement. But he wants that for us. He wants us to experience his love and involvement. Listen, God is God. And he has this desire in his heart that you might experience his love and his involvement in your life and all that that entails. But... We don't deserve that. There's nothing that we've done. There's nothing we bring to the table. There's not enough good deeds that we would reserve God, that we would deserve God to respond to us that way. There's a word for that, and we've been singing about it this morning. The Bible word for that is grace. And I say as I pray this morning, I say, God, maybe we've heard that word so many times that it's kind of lost its meaning to us. But grace is the core of our relationship with God. Grace is the, is the core of our faith. It's the centerpiece of all the New Testament teaches us. Our relationship with God, a real Intimate, interactive relationship with God is only possible because of grace. Without grace, no relationship with God. You've heard many different definitions of grace, probably. I think unmerited favor, unmerited favor, undeserved favor, unearned favor probably says it best. Someone said it's a an acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense, that certainly describes grace. But I think just understanding that he comes to me when I don't deserve him to come to me is the definition of grace. Grace 
Grace is about the one who gives. It's not about the one who gets. You don't find someone who's a recipient of grace that goes around taking credit for that. You can't. Grace is about the one who gives. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians. It's important that you understand that Ephesians is what is known as a circular epistle. It's a circular letter. That means that while it was sent to Ephesus, its purpose was to be sent to all churches in the area. So this is a, this is a teaching. This is a, a letter for all Christians. It's for all believers. It's for all people, really. He starts out in the second chapter of Ephesians introducing us to this idea of grace by explaining to us our condition before we have this relationship with God. And he says in the first verse, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. You weren't alive. This was our condition. This was our state. He goes on in verses the rest of verse 1 and in verse 2 and verse 3, telling us about how we, we turn our back on God and how we live according to the world and how we go our own way. That's who we are. That's who we were before Christ came into our lives. That was our condition. When you understand that condition, then you begin to better understand how undeserving we are of God's attention. We were dead in trespasses and sins. And then in verse 4, these incredible words, but God, but God. And here's why that's so important, because we have this mentality, we have this, 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 this MO, this mode of operation of thinking, if I'm going to be accepted by God, if I'm going to be in right standing with God, I know that I got some things going on in my life, and so I really would like to have a relationship with God. And our solution to that is I'm going to do this. I'm going to do such and such. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be better at that. I'm going to do more good deeds. I'm going to. Our solution is I, 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 I. God's solution is but God. But God. You, you got you to gotta get this, this idea that, that, that it's not us who makes the first move, but God. It's not us that initiates it, but God. We do have a tendency to think that we initiate that. That's why when I pray this morning, I say to you, listen, you're here this morning and you think, I'm not even sure God is real. It's no accident that you're here. God is God. God does whatever he wants to do. He orchestrates events in our lives. You walked in the door this morning. There might be some people who were surprised. God wasn't surprised. He knew that you would be here. It's his way of initiating relationship with him. But God, the verse goes on, being rich in mercy. Mercy, that's, that's not receiving what we deserve. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. And I think that it's so important that we understand or that we at least visit the reality that, man, the Apostle Paul knew about mercy. I mean, more, maybe more than any other man on the planet. It's as if God says, who can I choose 
to demonstrate the depth of my mercy. I'll choose, the, uh, I'll choose old Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who's going around killing Christians, who's doing everything in his power to put an end to this new movement, this, this Jesus movement, this, all this talk about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And, he, and Paul spends a portion of his life going around persecuting Christians and killing Christians and throwing Christians in jail. And it's Paul who writes this, but God, who is rich in mercy. God demonstrated his mercy to Paul. It was a reality to him. He goes on, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. We talk about that a lot in our church, don't we? God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. I wish we could grasp it. I wish we could throw our arms around it. We've got, we've got to get this. God loves you. It answers some questions for us when we, when we realize that God loves us, that, that, that God has this great love with which he loves us. It answers questions like, God, why am I here this morning? Why do you care about me? Why would you tap me on the shoulder? Why would you initiate this? Why would you come to me? God, what have I done to deserve your attention in my life? Why would you extend grace to me? This great love with which he loved us. That's the answer to the question. God loves you. We ask him these questions. God, why? Why? Why would you come to me? Why would you tap me on the shoulder? Why would you initiate this? And I think that there's this element of this that God says, it's, it's really not about who you are, it's about who I am. I not only love you, I am love. That's, that's my character. That's my nature. That's who I am. I am rich in mercy. And I love you with a great love. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Don't forget, our condition was we were dead, but he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that you have been saved. Why would God save me? There's a lot of theological answers, I'm sure, but the bottom line is this, because God wanted to save me. Because God chose me, because God called me to himself, because God revealed truth to me. God saves us because he wants to, and he's God, and he does whatever he wants. He's God. And he's rich in love, he's rich in mercy. And he extends his, his provision, his salvation. He extends that to you. He taps you on the shoulder. He tells you, he reveals to you his mercy and he reveals to you his grace. He invites you into relationship with him. It's why you're here. It's not an accident. He's orchestrated it. He's brought you here. There's something he wants you to learn. There's something he wants you to know. There's some way he wants to involve himself in your life. There's some way he wants to change you. It's by grace. Unearned favor. Unmerited favor, undeserved favor. It's by grace that you have been saved.
For by grace, he says in verse 8, as if, as if to review, it's by grace that you've been saved, and this time he says, through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So I, I think that it's important that we go back a step, and I ask you, do you believe that God is rich in mercy? Do you believe that he loves you with a great, great love? Do you believe that he calls you to himself? Do you believe that he has provided a way for you to enter into relationship with him? Do you believe that? Do you remember a few weeks ago we talked about Abraham? We talked about his life, but we talked about the thing that established his, his being right with God was that he simply believed. Abraham believed God and God reckoned or credited him with righteousness. That is to say, Abraham believed God, and God said to Abraham, I'm going to bestow upon you my righteousness, and you are righteous in my sight. And we now have this relationship. You have to believe. That's what faith is. It is by grace that we're saved through faith. Just believe. Grace becomes a reality in our lives when we believe. Do you believe God? I think God's heart more than anything else, I think God's heart more than anything else is that we believe him. It's a catalyst. When we believe God, everything else changes. When we believe God... Offer yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. That becomes something that we want to do. That's not some kind of, uh, of requirement that we have to do. When we, when we believe him, it changes us. It transforms us. We're different. We have different want-tos, and, and we have, it's now a, something different that drives us. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Belief, faith, becomes grace becomes a reality in our lives when we believe God. And Paul goes on and says this, it's not a result of works so that no one may boast. We don't have to expand on that, do we? You don't enter into a relationship with God because of anything that you do. No matter how good, no matter how many times, it's nothing that you do. It's not good deeds. It's not good deeds. It's not good deeds. And I told you this a couple of weeks ago, but I think that on some level, we all, on some level, we all believe that it has something to do with good deeds. I, I still struggle with this today. I struggle with this every day. I bargain and negotiate with God every day. God, I probably didn't prepare like I should this week, but if you'll bless the service, I'll do better next week. Or God, I failed you in this area this past week, and I thank you for your forgiveness, and I, I know that, that I'm cleansed, and I, but, but Lord, if you'll just bless, if you'll bless our people, if you'll bless our ministry, if you'll bless our outreach, if you'll, 
if you'll bless our giving, if you'll bless, if you, then I, I, I promise I'll be stronger next week in that area. I'm not going to fail. I mean, all of us, I think, to some degree, think that works or deeds has something to do with our standing before God. And we got to get to a place where we have to understand it's zero. It's zero. And it's hard. That's hard for us to, 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 to understand. Here's the reality. It's not what you do. It's what God has done. It's not what you do. It's what God has done. And that, and that alone determines your standing with God. Now look, that's kind of theology, right? I mean, we just kind of, this is the theology. This is, this is the doctrine. It's the doctrine of, of grace. It's, but I think that the, the, the practical part of that is, is what God has for us today as a church. I think it's what's important to us. I think it's kind of, it's kind of the takeaway today. We all, have this, we all have this kind of idea, this standard, this the standard of behavior that, that we feel like makes us acceptable to God. Something that we measure ourselves by. Some, some of you, maybe it's, maybe it's the Ten Commandments. You know, I don't break any commandments and I must be in good standing with God. Some, some of us go to, to what Jesus taught. Some of us make up our own standards, you know, God knows my heart. This is okay for me. But here's the point. No matter where you get, whether it's the Ten Commandments, and maybe, maybe, maybe you can live and not break a commandment. I don't know. But, man, if you take what Jesus taught, that's impossible to keep that standard. You've heard it said that you shall not murder. I'm telling you, you hate your brother, you commit a murder. You've heard it said, y'all shall not commit adultery. I'm telling you, you look on a woman with lust, you committed adultery. I mean, it's impossible. And even the own, our own standards that we set for ourselves, we find ourselves failing. We find that we fall short. We begin to feel guilt, and we begin to feel shame. We begin to feel like we're, 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 we're just not good enough. We begin to scratch our heads and say, man, I don't even know if this journey is worth it anymore. That's why it's so important that we get this very basic tenet of our faith. It's not what you do, it's what God has done. It's not what you do. It's what God has done. It's not, God, what do you want me to do in order for you to come and be involved in my life? What do you want me to do in order for you to help me? You know what that is? That's religion. Religion is man's search for what he can do so that he can be acceptable to God. That's religion. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, it's not what you do, it's what God has done. It's not what you do, it's what God has done. Now here's the point. Here's the point, and here's what I think is for us today. All of the to-dos, which are important, are a response to what God has done. When we, when, when we can embrace this, when we can have an understanding of this, we begin to see how it, 
how it manifests itself in our life. The most gracious people that I know and that you know, the most gracious people that you will ever meet are people who have learned to walk in grace. They understand grace. They understand it's about what God has done. You know why we care? Because he cared. Why we love? Because he loved. Why we serve? He served us. Why should we be kind? Because he was kind to us. Why should we submit to one another? Because he submitted to the Father and paid the price. Why should we surrender to one another? Being, being submissive and surrendering to one another. Why should we think of others as better than ourselves? Because he did. I mean, he died for us. And so when we, when we begin to embrace and we begin to understand this idea of grace and we make it a part of who we are, it changes us in such a way that we want to extend grace, that we want to be gracious. It makes perfect sense to me that, that Paul follows this teaching with this verse. We are God's workmanship. He initiated it. He made us. He changed us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now he's just said, it's not works. It's not deeds. It's grace. But we've been created in Christ Jesus for good, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Do you see the connection there? We walk in these works. We walk in these works, these, these orchestrated opportunities that God has given us to love people and to care for people and to minister to people and to surrender to people and to submit and to be kind and to serve. He's orchestrated these events for us. And we, we walk in them not to gain acceptance from God because we have been accepted by God. It changes everything. When you walk in grace, you'll experience freedom, the freedom that we talked about. We said Jesus came to set us free last week. We talked about being set free. And that is, that is, is made available to us through grace. When we walk in grace, we'll find freedom, we'll find peace. Let me tell you something. You, you live by your standard. You live by the Ten Commandments if you want to. You live by what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount if you want to. You'll never, ever know if you're good enough. You'll never, ever have peace. But you embrace this idea of grace. It's what he did, not what I do. It's what he's done. It's what he's done. It's what he's done. He initiated. He tapped me on the shoulder. He drew me to himself. He desires relationship with me. He loves me. He wants to involve 
himself in my life. And it's not based on my behavior. My acceptance is not based on my behavior. But you begin to embrace this idea of grace. And you'll be gracious. You'll be gracious. Now look, I want this to be the DNA of our church. Grace. Some people say, you're Avalon Church. I, that doesn't seem right. Avalon, Avalon. There seems like there should be something in the middle of Avalon and Church. Avalon Baptist Church, Avalon Presbyterian Church, Avalon, you know, some kind of church. I go, no, 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 no. If you got to put something there, put Avalon Bible Church. We'll be a Bible church. Or maybe this is even better. Avalon Grace Church. Grace. We're full of it. How's that for a byline? <laughs> Grace. We're full of it. I want that to be the DNA of our church. Because I want us to love and care and serve. I want us to be kind. I want us to submit. I want us to surrender. I, I see my dear, dear brother, Philip Hahn, sitting in the back who gets a call on Friday that his mom's been rushed to the hospital. He's learned since then that she suffered a stroke. They're not sure the severity of it. There's a brother who I love. I want to serve him. I want to care about him. I want to involve myself in his life. I want him to know I love him. I want him to know he, don't walk, he doesn't walk through this journey alone. Vic Reyes called me on Friday. He said, Dale, I got two phone calls within a few minutes of one another. Shelly's mom passed away unexpectedly. And we're going we're gonna to get ready and, and, and go be with the family. And he said, and the second phone call was my mom was rushed to the hospital, and she's really, really suffering with dementia, and it's bad. Look. All I'm saying is this room is full of people who are going through difficult times. And, and it's fine to pat them on the back and say, I'm praying for you. But I don't think that's what grace does. I think that when we understand grace, we embrace grace, we make, we make that a part of who we are, that we become gracious and your needs become important to me. They become a burden to me. They, they, they become something that drives me. I want to help you. I want to love you. I want to care for you. I want to serve you. I, I want to surrender my agenda, and I want to I focus on your agenda. Folks, I'm asking you to please consider what it would be like if we had 500, 600 people that acted that way. What would it be like? Freedom. Man, the least of these. Jesus called those who are really, really suffering with sickness and disease and really, really suffering with material, not, not having anything materially, financial. He said, man, I, I, want you, I want you to serve them. I want you to love them. James writes in the New Testament, this is, this is pure religion. Take care of widows. Take care of orphans. Take care of the least of these. That's pure religion. That's the real thing. Serve, love, care, be a part of. Grace, 
Grace, grace, we're full of it. Grace. I tell you what, I don't, I don't believe the, what those people down at Avalon Church believe, but I know this, man, those people love one another. What if that was our DNA? Grace. You know what the, 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 the alternative to grace is? It's self-righteousness. I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to be good enough. I think that that, that, that kind of heart, is sometimes it, it can really start out good. I'm just going to make a commitment. I'm just going to do good. I'm just going to do good. I'm just going to do good. And that way God's going to accept me. And if God accepts me, God will bless me and God will protect me and God will provide for me. But I'm telling you, my experience has been, and I've been around for a long, long time, my experience has been that when you're self-righteous and you try so hard to get in God's, to get God's acceptance, it turns out really, really bad. It turns out bad. But that's the alternative to Grace. Simple, isn't it? This is it. That's all I have for you today. Because of his great love with which he loved us. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's the gift of God. Can you you take the time this morning to kind of evaluate where you stand on that? I'm trying to think of what the question might be for you to use. When you, when you want something from God, and we all pray and we make our petitions known, but when, when you want something from God, what do you think is required for his response? That you be good? Do you need to make a promise to him that you'll be better in the future so that he'll respond to your request? That's not Christianity. That's not the Bible. That's not grace. And we've, we, we kind of have to have a change of, of, of mind about how we go about these things. He is rich in mercy. And he loves us with a great love, a great love. He is love the beginning of love, the source of love, the giver of love. He is love and he loves us. Can you imagine the capacity of God's love? What is the capacity of God's love? (laughs) That's how he loves you. You're accepted by him when by grace, through faith, when you believe him, when you believe him. Abraham believed him. He made Abraham righteous. Jesus Christ is God. And he came to this earth. And he lived a perfect life. And he died on a cross. And he shed his blood. And in that blood is redemption. In that blood is salvation. Will you believe God? God says, my provision for you is my son, Jesus Christ. And as the verse that we read from 1 Corinthians this morning, he was rich and he gave it all up so that you can be rich.
What about being gracious? How are we doing with that? If we're not being gracious, if we're not being sensitive to the needs of others, if we're not serving, if we're not caring, if we're not surrendering ourselves, if why not? If you're a believer here this morning, is it because you don't fully understand and embrace the reality of God's grace? I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to be here at the front. The team's going to sing. Maybe you'd like to pray. Maybe you'd like someone to pray for you. I want to make a deal with you, okay? If you want to come to these altars and pray, no one will bother you. You can just pray by yourself. If you would like someone to pray with you, just come whisper in my ear. Can you find someone to pray with me? And we'll have somebody pray with you. Nothing magic about coming to these altars. But man, there is something about it that kind of seals in our hearts and in our spirits this conversation that we're having with God. If you're here this morning and you have never experienced God's provision of salvation, come talk to me. Let's sit down and talk about that. I'm right here at the front. And I want to talk to you about that. It's the most important thing. It's the only thing that determines your eternal destiny. It's the only thing. You got to get that right. So Lord, um, I don't think that we're capable of understanding grace on our own. It's just, it's too amazing. <laughs> it's too amazing. And so I ask your Holy Spirit to begin to teach us what it means that we are accepted by you based upon what you have done. That we don't have to bargain. Teach me that, Lord. Teach us that. I believe with everything inside of me, God, I believe you. And I believe that if we embrace this, if we learn this, if we walk in this, that we will be gracious people. And I believe that if we're gracious people, we can win this community to you. And I'm asking you to do a miracle in our hearts and lives this morning. Do it now. I want to invite you again to come. If you want to come and pray, if you want to come and talk, we're here for you. Arthur, if you would lead us. Amazing grace. How sweet a sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I That's all my heart to fear and grace my fear.